And then what tends to happen because of that is the wounded shepherds or the wounded sheep then are in charge of the restoration. And that never works. The people who have been hurt by the pat the sinning pastor cannot be the ones trying to restore the sinning pastor alone. Mm. It doesn't work. There's there's yeah. too much emotional drag and, and drama. Hey guys, we have another crucial conversation that we just need to have today. Here on the podcast, talking about restoration, talking about authority, talking about honor and honesty and coming underneath submission. Now, these are things that you may not be excited about of talking about today, but let me just say this is a really, really good conversation, and it's straight from the trenches. Today, I have Darren Patrick on the podcast, and um, this is Darren's story to tell, but Darren shares a little bit about being removed from his church by the elders what God taught him in the process of restoration, and ultimately now just a a beautiful process that he went through of really being fathered and what he says now being a man under authority, a submitted man. And so I I loved this conversation. This is one that uh, you might have heard about in the news. It hit the front page of some papers and some magazines and kind of every leader's worst nightmare. And I just loved Darren's candor. I love how God is using him now to coach many other leaders and really to focus on health. So this is really close to the heart of of us here at Stay Forth. David, why don't you talk a little bit uh, about this? What are some of the pressures? What are some of the struggles in this area of submission? Well, I, I think it's really easy for leaders to get isolated. And we talk about this a lot at Stay Forth, but loneliness is a feeling and isolation is a choice. And, and often without even realizing it, we make choices as leaders that isolate ourselves. And so you need a team around you of other leaders that you are in mutual submission to. And for me as a pastor, that's my elder team. And I need to make sure that I'm not isolating myself, I'm not retreating that I can be honest and open and vulnerable, and that I'm willing to learn how to submit to that team. And we just ran into an issue recently where we were trying to make a decision. Uh, It was basically, right now we have three elders. It was two versus one. I was the odd man out. Um, And I, I knew I wanted to submit to them no matter what, but I had to be completely honest to say, I do not think we're making the right decision. And this is the decision that I would make. And they received that. We had a great conversation. It actually built trust but I was prepared to submit to them, but I also needed to be honest. And what I learned from that is that my submission doesn't mean that I can't be honest, that me submitting to the team doesn't mean that I can't really speak what's on my mind. And that was a really good moment for me recently that that taught me a lot, but it's a struggle and it's a battle. Um, And Alan, you've been in pastoral leadership. You've been in leadership for a very long time. How do you wrestle with this idea of team and, and authority and submission in your life? Something that's been really helpful for me, David, is this: these parallel tracks of honor and honesty. And not only would I say we can be honest and honor people at the same time, I'd say if we're going to lead well, we actually have to be. So even before this, this morning, David and I um, had a hard conversation, and it's, it's good, but we have to both honor one another and be honest if we're going to continue to grow as leaders. And those are the conversations that end up sharpening me. Um, The conversation you talked about is very, very normal. But if we avoid that, we're going to end up not being honest with them. It's going to leak out somewhere else. We're going to be frustrated. And so I would say if we are in leadership, 
we have a responsibility to honor and to be honest. And I think one of the biggest travesties in our culture today is to think we have to be one or the other, is to think, well, either I'm, I'm going to honor them by acting like I agree with them, or I'm just going to be honest and kind of blow up the conversation, throw grenades. Neither one is what God desires. And hmm. um, nobody ever said leadership is easy. I mean, I think it takes a ton of discernment to have both of those. We also refer to this as difference between unity and uniformity, is that we are called to unity, to come together and, again, to honor one another, to be honest, but that doesn't mean we're always going to agree. I think that's a, a great misnomer in leadership. And guys, we need more conversations and stories like this one with Darren. We need more older men coming alongside and fathering younger men. We need more mentors pulling people along. We need to recognize when leaders are looking for a space to be known and to be loved and to be restored. Many times we think leaders are damaged goods when they've messed up, especially publicly, and the shame, the guilt that comes with that. Uh, I really appreciated both Darren opening up his heart to us and opening up his mind to what a restoration process really needs to look like so that it can be healthy and effective and ultimately be good for both the church long-term and the leader long-term. This episode gives me a lot of hope. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Enjoy my conversation with my friend, Darren Patrick. Well, Darren, thanks for coming on the podcast. I just think your story offers hope to, to so many people. I'm grateful for you. And again, uh, thanks for just taking time to, to share your story with us today. Absolutely. So um, I want to kind of start by going way back. I've heard you share about your relationship with your father. And so kind of before you entered into ministry, um, can you share how your relationship with your father impacted your own life and leadership? Yeah. So, you know, grew up in a blue collar home. My dad, I think his highest level of education was sophomore in high school. And he just kind of a self-made guy, figured it out, you know, raised by his grandparents, crazy situation there. And um, yeah, I always say my dad did the best he could with the tools that he had. He just didn't have very many, very many tools. And um, so, you know, he was, he was physically abusive, uh, verbally abusive, uh, even I found out later, sexually abusive um, with my sisters and just, you know, just growing up in a house where, you know, not much affection from him. And then, and the other piece of it too was he had very high expectations of me. I was the only boy. I was the youngest. Uh, the la He was an only. Um, and so I'm the last one with, the, you know, the Patrick name, you know, so lots of pressure there that I didn't even realize you know, until later on, my like, oh, man. So, yeah, we, we were just super, super distant. He was always working. Literally, he worked all day, and then he would come home, and he, he developed this subdivision, so he built houses, and he could put in, put in the roads and the sewers, and the, I mean, he'd do it all. And, uh, but he didn't teach me, and so I had a lot of insecurity, even to this day, around, like, manual labor stuff, because he just didn't teach me, and I kind of ran from it, and kind of went to sports, and but it was, it was just a deal where you grew up just not, you know, not being affirmed in your masculinity. And so I was looking for that all the time. I was an athlete, so I was always looking for that in my performance and even, even from my coaches. And it was like I just didn't get it. I got it in my performance, but I didn't get it from my coaches. So I just think there was this hole in me 
that I carried over, you know, as I became a Christian, um, and, in, and for sure, as I went into ministry, you know, kind of always looking for dad, mostly getting, uh, getting dis- disappointed. Um, because what I found is it's not just non-Christian abusive dads that don't know how to father. It's, uh, it's Christian men and specifically uh, pastors that have really no idea how to be a spiritual dad. And, and that was my experience, frankly, uh, up until... God brought Pastor Greg Surratt into my life. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, and, and part of that is I repelled those kind of guys. And part of it is there's just not a lot of those kind of guys, unfortunately. And that's part of what he and I are trying to do. You know, this, this podcast called The Pastors Collective, we're trying to like, hey, how can we reunite some dads and some spiritual sons? Um, but that, that really, that, that whole discussion around my dad um, really was a setup for a lot of craziness in my life um, that, you know, and it's not just, you know, a lot of times we blame our circumstances um, and I don't, I don't blame it. It's a reason. It's not an excuse because I'm responsible as well, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it really, uh, I think set the trajectory for my implosion. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, scripture, there are few, there are few fathers and I agree. We need more, older men stepping up to spiritually father and then of, of course biologically father and uh, I mean I have two sons and two daughters and so this is just a good reminder for me but also a reminder there's a lot of guys especially walking around out there who deeply desire to be fathered but don't know how to ask for that and certainly don't know how to seek that even if they did have men around um, that's such a that's such a good point so what about those identity cracks as you're in ministry, things are, are blowing and going there at the church, you're seeing success. How did that widen those identity cracks, Darren? You know, slowly but surely you began to, you know, in a sense, you're always trying to find affirmation. You know, I, I just think it's very interesting and instructive that when, when Jesus was baptized, you know, the father says, you know, you are my son, you know, that's identity. And then with you, I'm well pleased. That's affirmation. And so in a sense, we're always looking for, or at least I was, am, uh, always looking for that. Okay, who am I? Like, and, and what happened to me was I got servant before son. Um, and so that became primary. So I'm God's servant, um, you know, and before my identity was in being a son, I was a servant who sometimes felt like a son versus a son who served. And I, and that was just, you know, my own ministry idolatry. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just think, and yet, listen, man, the, the evangelical industrial complex is not going to tell you to slow down. It's not going to tell you to, Hey, don't write the book or don't go speak at the conference. They, I mean, they want, they're going to keep it going. So, yep. you know, that was part of the deal. You know, I'm in that flow and it's very seductive and, because you're doing good things. I mean, it's not like I'm going to strip clubs and, you know, like abusing people, but it's, but it's, but it's very subtle, like how kind of the entitlement creeps in and the, the, uh, just the idea that more is better. And honestly, and I think every pastor, the the five hardest words for every pastor to believe is, uh, Jesus said, I will build my church. That is, 
so hard to believe. We think we have to do that. And I, and I absolutely believed that it was my responsibility to grow the church. Um, and so I, that just got me on a, you know, talk about a, a crack or a fracture that just opened up so much, even in the middle of, you know, success. I mean, I, when I go and tell my story, I'm like, one of the first things to say is like, especially for church planners, I'm like, I experienced everything you guys could dream about in your wildest dreams. Mm. I, I planted a church from nothing. It grew to thousands and thousands. I helped start a network that grew to hundreds of churches internationally. I wrote multiple books. I, I got, I finished my highest degrees uh, in schooling. My family was awesome. You know, got, had it, got it all. And, and, and I, I, then I follow up like sometimes Roman, you know, sometimes uh, according to Romans one, God's judgment is giving us what we want. And that's what exactly, that's exactly what happened to me. Mm, that's so helpful, Darren, to share that directly. You do not want this, especially if the identity has, has issues or cracks in it. Um, so describe the moment that the elders came to you and ended up removing you. What were you feeling? What were you thinking in your brain and heart in that moment? Well, in one sense, it was disbelief. Um, and in another sense, it was like, you know what? Like, okay. Like, and then another moment, it was like depression. Yeah, it was, it was awful. It's one of the worst days, if not, you know, the worst day of my life. Um, and that I had violated their trust so much that it had come to this, you know, and that I had not um, been a a good, you know, spiritual older brother or father to them, you know, was all of that was just like directly in my face. And um, yeah, it was just off. I mean, I was suicidal. I mean, I was, it was terrible. It was, a, it was, a, it was a terrible day. Um, and uh that was just, that was, uh, that, you know, that, and, and I like to, you know, I like to tell that story that, um, you know, that's the day like you did, like, that's the day you don't want to have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, that. And when it's on the front page of the paper and an article in Christianity today and fodder for tons of bloggers, I mean, but just like, you know, that, that is what you, you know, let that be an impetus to not, implode because that you do not want to hear those words. And Darren, I'm so glad we're here today talking that you entered into a restoration process. Sounds like really have been spiritually fathered by Pastor Greg and others. So how did your restoration process begin and and what was it like? Uh, it began, the journey elders were very gracious and it was a the first part of it was like a, a 14, a 14, almost 15 month process um, that involved tons of counseling, like a couple hundred hours of counseling actually um, with me and my wife, uh, my, mostly me, but, but my wife was involved in that too. Lots of meetings with people that I had wounded and just listening and hearing, okay, this is how my, how you were, how you were uh, experienced and affected. Um, I mean, how, how you experienced me and how I affected you kind of self-awareness kind of stuff. Yeah. Just a lot of, a lot of personal work, uh, in that, in that first 14 to 15 months. And, and really, 
the best thing that happened in that process was one of the counselors who was my primary counselor sat across from me. His name is Rick Pierce and he leads a ministry in Kansas city called heart cry. He's amazing with pastors, but he just said, Hey, Darren, we're about the same age, Rick and I. And Rick was like, Hey, like, I think we've gone as far as we can go. And he said, it, it, it's because you need some, you need, you need some dads and I'm just a brother. And so he recommended wow. the, these guys uh, in Louisville from Cro- what's called Cross Point Ministries, Rick, I'm sorry, Rich Plass and Jim Cofield. And Rick said, hey, these guys. So we met together and it was like amazing. Um, and those Rich and Jim have become like mentors. Um, we actually do ministry together now through Cross Point. We're doing an Enneagram certification here in a couple of weeks in Charleston. And um, just they have become like dads to my wife and I. We we do a cohort with them, like a continuing like soul care thing where we're with them like, you know, three or four times a year. It's just amazing. Like for him to have that that insight and, and humility really um was was just spectacular. And so that was for for us, that was a moment of like just like, hey, we are being cared for and we are being loved. We didn't feel passed on and so then, you know, that, that led us, so, so that team, Rich and Jim, and then my pastor, Greg, and then there was another guy in his sixties, a business leader, a mentor who were a part of a personal board that after the first year or the first 14, 15 months, uh, I submitted and I said, Hey guys, what do you think? You think I should get back in ministry? I was doing some business stuff. Should I just do that? And they all, they all to a, to a person said, Hey, you can do whatever you want. You know, we, we think you can do ministry. And I just really sensed um, in my heart, like, I'm not ready to be able to lead. And Greg, Pastor Greg said, hey, why don't you come on staff here? Let's do another year. We're going to call it supervised ministry. And we want you to teach and use that gift. But there's still some stuff broken in your leadership stuff that we want to, like, kind of help come alongside you. And so that happened for a year. Um, and then, you know, uh, essentially, um, you know, that, that, that whole process ended, um, in May, uh, of, uh, you know, 2018 and where I was able to then, you know, enter back into whatever I wanted to do again. And I just felt like, you know what, why change, so- <laughs> why change something that's working? And so I pretty much stayed doing exactly what I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, serving pastor Greg and, um, telling my story. My wife and I have started, you know, teaching and telling our story and doing emotional health training for churches and staffs and marriage conferences and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been a pride. It's been a, you know, over these four years, it's been a huge process. Um, yeah, I think their restoration continues like in, in many ways. I, 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 I'm always going to have spiritual dads around. I'm always going to have counsel. I mean, I'm, I'm getting, I process all my opportunities with these guys and um you know just i'm i'm a man who's trying to be submitted versus a man who's trying to be um independent and i think for years even though, even though i had the guys of, oh we've got elders we've got a boy like i really feel like that's the one thing i can say is that i'm a submitted man to spiritual leadership and authority Well, as you guys know, we've had a lot of guest spots in the middle 
of the podcast, and we are talking about coaching. Coaching is one of those things that a lot of leaders have never had access to that we think a lot of leaders need in this next season. These are crazy times. We're feeling more than a little bit discombobulated personally and with our schedules and, of course, with what hits us at work which is for most of us now happening at home. So uh, I've got Tracy on the podcast today. It's been really been a joy walking alongside of you in coaching. And we'll get to some of the areas that you've grown here in just a bit. But I'm curious, why did you pursue coaching? Yeah, you know, um, I always like to have a person or people uh, in my life, not necessarily uh, coaches, but people to process life and leadership and ministry with who can, who can speak in, who can speak in. Uh, with wisdom as well as uh, just allow me to have someone to process with and especially during like significant moments right the, the moments of of struggle or transition uh, we can call them the kairos moments of life um, and i was entering into one of those just a couple of months ago with a, a role shift uh, at the church that i serve at and i wanted to make that transition well i wanted to do it in a way that would be healthy and would produce uh, growth and fruit in me as well as uh, produce kingdom impact through me. And we're about halfway through uh, our coaching time together in our 10 tools and 10 sessions process. Yeah. You've grown in a lot of different areas, but can you narrow that down to one or two that you feel like you've grown the most from your time in coaching? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've grown certainly a lot. I've, I feel like I've been very blessed by uh, simply the, the processing, the chance to process, and then the practicality of it all. Uh, being able to to kind of release some some of the overwhelm just by processing it with you, um, and also kind of to, to empty myself of that, but also to be kind of filled back up with practical ways, tools that I can utilize to pursue health. And so that kind of uh, segues into one of the areas I feel like I've grown the most in, and that is just to uh, to establish more healthy rhythms um, and to be intentional about that, and have utilized you know things like the weekly uh, planning grid, one of the one of the first tool that you introduced to me. Um, I also feel like that that has um, kind of led me into being more uh, proactive um, or maybe even protective uh, of, of my time, um, not letting my time tell me what to do, uh, but being able to just um, see how uh, being more proactive and intentional with me kind of telling my time what to do, uh, how that has led to uh, a lot more, even more productivity in my life and ministry. Awesome. Um, I'm curious, Tracy, what has surprised you about coaching? Yeah, you know, uh, and maybe this shouldn't have surprised me, um, but, you know, I've, I've, I've heard about a lot of coaches. I've had interaction with a lot of coaches and uh, things like that. And I always wondered if coaching was going to be for me. And what has surprised me is, uh, and pleasantly surprised me, is that uh, my, um, my relationship with you while, while you're my coach, it's more than that. Um, it's more than coaching. I, I actually... I truly believe it's discipleship. Um, and uh, there, there are so many more elements to it than what I even envisioned coaching uh, would have. There are elements of, of uh, counseling. There are elements of mentoring. There are elements of you know, spiritual uh, direction. There are elements of pastoral care. Um, it's very holistic, uh, which I love. Um, I love that it's holistic. And, and that also kind of draws me out more in being more honest and more vulnerable in the process. And um, so for me, it's, it's really been more than just coaching. And that, that has surprised me uh, very pleasantly because what it's doing is discipling me into these healthy rhythms. And I think about um, even how the message uh, kind of talks about in Matthew chapter 11, 
what Jesus invites us into, the, the, the unforced rhythms of grace. And so um, I love that, that this coaching has been uh, so much more than what I even envisioned that it could be. Mm. Well, that, that does my heart good. Thanks for sharing that. I really do see it and our other coaches see it as a calling and a vocation, not just a role, not just an opportunity, is literally to walk alongside of you as you make significant changes. And so it's interesting that you say that and that you pick up on that because to us, um, this is a huge privilege to be invited into your story. We want to steward that well. Tracy, I've watched it grow a ton and I know the rate of change right now is intense in our culture and you're going to continue to rise to that. So thanks for coming by the podcast and sharing your thoughts today. And if you're interested in pursuing coaching, you're listening to this, you can just head on over to stayforth.com and check out our coaching page. That's stayforth.com and check out our coaching page. Hmm, That's beautiful. And um, we need more stories like this. We need more stories of hope. And we're, we're all constantly being restored, right? And we have this picture like it's a house restoration and it's like, cool, done, perfect. We're good to go. But thank you for that and that honesty and that candor. Were you ever tempted to quit the restoration process? I'm sure it got hard. I knew you were struggling. You said you were feeling depression. Were you ever tempted to quit? Yeah. Yeah. The first part was awful. And, and part of that was, you know, before we got connected to uh, Ritz and Jim, um, there's just a lot of mistakes that were made. And, um, and, and what I would just say, I mean, because I mean, well, this issue of restoration and how we deal with pastors who are struggling and sinning, it ain't going away. <laughs> In fact, yep. I mean, I, uh, it, it is, uh, it is a huge, um, huge, uh, in, in the coming years. I mean, I know more than I should. I mean, it, it is, it, the church has got to figure this out. Well, um, one of the things that you've got to understand in this process, when a pastor is in this process, you know, in a restoration process that they have submitted to, um, they are so vulnerable and they are completely undone. And how the people who are doing the restoration handle the pastor and his wife or the, you know, whatever the situation is, uh, requires a depth of, I would say, education and experience, uh, and, and if you don't have that, it can be one of the most wounding things that can happen. I've seen it over and over again. So, you know, I, I just think you have to hire clinicians. You have to get people with PhDs and, and training and, and social science stuff. You can't just get a bunch of pastors. Usually these restoration uh, kind of situations are um, you got a failed pastor who, who had a bad experience and then he starts and then he gathers counselors around him or or whatever and or or they or or you've got a pastor that made it through it and so let's hire that guy or let's get that guy involved and all that's good but you got to have the clinicians and you got to have the people that have a track record of walking leaders um you know in, out of out of the crazy and into health and um yeah so i mean just some of the stumble and, and, and no process is perfect i mean and i remember early on the lord i mean i i'm not trying to be a God tells talks to me like this every day, but it was one of those internally audible voices. He's like, I'm perfecting you through this imperfect process. Hmm. And, and I, and I just, and no, every process, no matter who you have involved is imperfect. 
and the, the, the person that's being restored is going to feel like they're not getting the right end of the deal. The, the people that are restoring are feeling like the pastor's not grateful. Happens every time. So it's just part of it. It's, it's no process is perfect because you're dealing with imperfect people. But I think the church has a lot to learn about how to do restoration. Uh, typically, what I've seen, and then this is, these are polarities, but, you know, the Bible church, uh, reformed, whatever you want to, you know, that the, the, the Bible guys, so to speak on the right, uh, you know, they, they don't do restoration or they don't do it very well, typically. Uh, and then on the left, the, you know, the hyper charismatic black church, um, all you got to do is get prayed for by an important leader and you're restored. Like, I think we got to somehow we got to meet in the middle on what it looks like to restore pastors. And that's part of our, me, me and Pastor Greg's passion is like, man, how do we do this better? How do we get, how, how do we, you know, cause pastors are a mess. It's not like that's going to continue. And, you know, you know, the secrets that the pastor has will come out and it, it is going to make a mess. So how do we, number one, how do we deal with it once the mess is made and how can we prevent some of this? That's, that's kind of, that's our passion. Yeah. Yeah, we we need we need help in that area, and um, I'm sure you and Pastor Greg are already speaking into that, already giving others help, and that gets me excited to think about how do we do this better. Give us some practical ways that people loved you during that time and during that process. Yeah, well, I think you know it, it's so hard when somebody's in trauma. It's just like. Uh, you know, as we're recording this, uh, Nashville uh, just experienced a terrible tornado. So a bunch of people died, a bunch of, you know, and so I'm calling my buddies in Nashville. Well, it's hard to know when, when there's a crisis, like, okay, am I bothering them? Like, yep. like I wanted to know that I care, but, and then what should I do? And, or should I, well, I don't know what to do because, yep. I, you know. So I did just, the exact so, same no thing what, this morning. I, should, I, yeah. should I mess with them, but just tell them I love them? Should I call them? Exactly. Yeah. Well, same thing happens when a when a, a pastor falls. You don't really know what to do, and so um, I think the best thing that people did was like express concern and then just consistently like pursue me, and just like I haven't forgot about you, love you, like like that was huge. Um, because what happens is when a pastor falls, and especially if they lose their ministry. Like they found out real, they find out really fast who their friends really are. Um, and most of the time who they thought their friends were, were not their friends because they bail. Um, I was on two different boards, um, significant boards. And when I confessed what had happened and then once I had gotten, uh, terminated literally on, on these boards, uh, multiple people that I had served with for years, I never heard from them again after that phone call to this day. Wow. I'm like, that's freaking weird. Wow. Like, so that's what that's not weird. to do guys who are listening. <laughs> what yeah. not to do is yeah. to make sure that you're exactly. You know, not and I say that because again. of that. Wow. Versus, versus the, those who stepped in. And it's pretty tragic uh, that, but I found that to be true across the board like that mm. with guys that I've worked with now. So man, pursue, 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 err on the side of being annoying. Um, and then practical things like the people who said, Hey, do you need your mortgage paid? Hey, do you need, what, 
what financial needs. I think I think emotional support, spiritual presence, and then financial support are huge. Because, you know, a pastor, it's like, I may never do ministry again. This is all I know how to do. What am I going to do with my family? And then, you know, just the stability there. So, so those things are huge. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really helpful because there's so much going on. And, oh, yeah, they've just experienced the worst day of their life, maybe experiencing depression, suicidal thoughts, you know, and all of, all of those things. That's so helpful for us. Um, maybe it sounds obvious based on what you've just, what you've just said, but why is it so rare for a pastor that experiences something like this to actually go through with the restoration process? Well, one of the reasons is um, the, the governance in their church uh, is not uh, conducive for restoration. So a lot of times, you know, two, two things happen in church governance, and I don't want to get into a big ecclesiological debate. Um, because I don't even know what I believe in some ways. I mean, so I'm still working some of that out. But one thing I do know is, you know, if you just, you know, you guys plant a church and their elder teams tend to be very young. I mean, one of the, one of the terrible things, I mean, there's all kinds of things leading up to my implosion. My dad died about six months before this. Two of our elders who were in their sixties had to leave the team because of family issues, not disqualifying issues. And so our elder team's a bunch of guys younger than me. And I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Now, early on in a church plant, man, you take who you get. Like, you're upright, bipedal, you believe the Bible, you're in. I mean, it's so hard to find leaders. But I would just say, instead of critiquing everything, what I would say is they don't have enough fatherly leadership inside and outside of their church that knows how to uh, um, deal with crises and a lot of times in your church planner you don't there's no way for you to have that you just launch your church you've got young leaders you've got new christians uh, but you know i think the pattern we see in scripture is you know while timothy was putting together elders all over uh, ephesus while titus was doing that in crete paul was their overseer paul was and, and others um and i think that you know we have abandoned that model and said oh we got to have a local church only like we don't have any input from the outside or it's all input from the outside. And I think a combination of the inside and outside leaders is crucial. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge thing. What was your question again? I, I got, I got off on that. Like frame, frame it again. So yeah. Just wh- why don't more leaders who experience yeah. this kind of fall actually go through with the process? Yeah. So, so then, they, they don't have tr- people they trust and people with expertise on the inside. And then what tends to happen because of that is the, 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 the wounded shepherds or the wounded sheep then are in charge of the restoration. And that never works. The people who have been hurt by the, pa- the sinning pastor cannot be the ones trying to restore the sinning pastor alone. Mm. It doesn't work. There's, there's yeah. too much emotional drag and, and drama. So then it tends to be punitive and the pastor goes, well, I'm not going to submit with that. They're going to hurt me. Okay. So that's on the, that's on the elder side. On the pastor side is um, they're still trying to manage and spin and they're not, they're not willing to own their stuff. And so I think that 
and they're they're you know they're they're basically trying to manage their brand and manage their and they're worried about their finances and they're worried and there's all kinds of real concerns. But at the end of the day, there's just not trust um, to submit to a process and 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 it's and partly it's their own fault because they didn't set their governance up right. And then partly there's a true factor too, like oh my gosh, these guys are going to hurt me, which is also mostly true. It almost always goes that way. Um, it becomes punitive rather than restorative. Uh, very rarely does it go well. Um, so they look at, they're looking at that and then they've got all this backlog of, of pastors that they know that have been honest and vulnerable and it's been used against them. So they got all those dynamics and then they got their own selfish uh, desire to continue to spin the story, not own it. Um, and, and so they want to rearrange. They don't want to re- repent. They want to regroup. Mm. rather than repent. And that's what you see over and over again, guys regrouping. Mm. Um, and I was tempted to do that. And, and, and I think all pastors are, we're all, we're always tempted and leaders were tempted to like give the minimum, like do the minimum amount of work um, to maintain our image. And that is, a, that is always a temptation in these situations. That's really helpful to regroup or to rearrange instead of to walk through restoration. Yeah. What words of hope do you have and repentance? Yeah. What words of hope do you have for others who are listening to this podcast, literally today, believing God's done with me. This is the end of my story. Well, I would just say that's a lie. Your story is going to look different. I remember Rick Pierce saying to me, this is a part of your story. And I was just like, oh, and it was at first, it was just the most devastating thing I'd, I'd heard. But then, it, but then later it became freeing because wait a minute, um, we are in, we are in good company if we have failed. Um, you know, every single leader in Scripture failed. Even the Apostle Paul, who sometimes comes off really good. I mean, he he couldn't forgive John Mark. He 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 couldn't. Uh, you know, he he constantly. I mean, it, you just see the relational rub he had with various people and and. And so he was not perfect. Um, and then everybody else in scripture, he's the one that you got to kind of work for. Everybody else in scripture is a disaster. And God constantly, I mean, Peter's the perfect example. Peter is so interesting. Like we, we go, Oh, Peter, you know, denied Jesus and kind of figured it out. Well, Peter's still dealing with racism has to get a vision in Acts 10 three times, not once, not twice, three times going, no, it's okay for Gentiles. And then Paul has to rebuke him, Galatians 2, again, over the same issue. Like, this thing is buried so deep in him. Um, After the Spirit comes, he's still got this racism thing. He's still got this nationalism thing that just, and so that just gives me hope. Like, geez, so go go back to Scripture and just go, hey, God uses broken people, and you're not done. Uh, just because you fail. Now your ministry may look different um, and you may not be in vocational ministry or you might be. Uh, but I would just say the hopeful thing is get around some spiritual moms and dads uh, who can, who can shepherd you and father you and mother you to, to back to health and, and then just do the hard work. Understand that your emotional health is directly connected to your spiritual maturity. That's something I did not understand. My spiritual maturity is directly influenced and, and, and greatly controlled by and influenced by my emotional health. So do the hard work of emotional health, get it, get in counseling and, 
and take and take your time. I mean, you want to rush back and you want to, some of you like me, I'm like, I'm, I'm never going to do ministry again. That was my first impulse. Um, so I think on one side, you're, some of you are like, I'll never do ministry again. And then some of you on the other side, I have to do ministry uh, quickly, like avoid those two things and then, and then submit and follow and trust. And if you're, and if you're a leader who's failed privately and nobody knows about it, find some people you can talk to about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause your temptation is go, if I tell this, then it's over. Well, maybe with your current leaders, but you need to find some Christians, some, some pastors, some counselors that can hear your story because you're probably sick because of your secrets. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That AA phrase, you're only as sick as your secrets. We had Pete yeah. Scazzaro on the podcast and I'm so grateful for Pete. I mean, he's been talking about emotional health for a long time uh, before really others would touch it. I'm so grateful for his story. Yeah. It was about 10 years between him really having that wake up call where his wife says, you know, I'm done at this church to him writing about it. And I'm so grateful for that in between time. He's shaped, I mean, hundreds of thousands of leaders, if not millions by now. Um, so grateful yeah. for that. Um, so how are you staying healthy these days, Darren? Well, I think one of the biggest things for me, number one, is having those older men, uh, spiritual dads and spiritual brothers and sisters and, and moms. I mean, just, we've got, we've got, you know, Pastor Greg and Debbie are our our pastors, and then we've got Hal and Pam Santos, who are in our lives, both in their sixties. Both, you know, he's been a senior pastor for thirty five years. I mean, they're just in our lives. Um, and then I've got a host of counselors, from Chip Judd at Seacoast, who's a counselor, to Ben Bosney here, uh, who's who's involved with my wife and I, to Rich and Jim at Cross Point. I mean, just a slew of counselors, and then. I have friends. I have real friends. Rob Landis has been a friend for 30 years. He discipled me after I became a Christian. Joy Wagner, who led me to Christ. He's a pastor. He's, deci- he, he, he's been in my life for 30 years. And then I've got a lot of other, like, you know, I've lost the, the, the art of friendship and just in the busyness of ministry and being betrayed a thousand times. Like, I can't trust anybody. I just, I just said, you know what? I'm going to err on the side of vulnerability on that level and do that emotional, spiritual work, you know, doing a Bible reading plan, fasting, those are new disciplines, not the Bible reading plan, but the fasting discipline, starting the year off, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and like really, like just, you know, dealing with that, I would say on the physical side, um, man, just, I've, I've really, uh, I, I've really watched what I, I figured out what foods affect my body, um, I had, I had, I had an autoimmune disease, like multiple autoimmune diseases, um, a lot of those, including chronic fatigue, almost all of the symptoms of those diseases have gone away. I'm talking ulcerative colitis, uveitis, arthritis, psoriasis, all this inflammation, weird stuff expressing itself. Almost all that has gone away, the symptoms, uh, as I've eaten better. So I think that what we put in our body is huge. I do yoga. I don't want to offend anybody. It's not, it's not Hinduism as much as it is uh, uh physical therapy, the guy's a physical therapist. That's a different kind of yoga. I know you can get in trouble with some yoga and get weird about it. I'm not getting, hot, I'm not getting weird about it. Hot or cold yoga or room time. temperature yoga. I mean, what, what kind of it's yoga? It's room temperature, but I love, <laughs> I love, I love hot yoga, except it's just so gross. So I do <laughs> sauna, I do cryotherapy. And then honestly, man, I mean, the best exercise thing I've ever done is I do 200 pushups a day, probably five days a week. And it's like the best thing ever. Cause I can do it when I travel. 
I'm not like in the gym all the time. I mean, I go, I go as much as I can, but it's just all those kind of things working together that, yes. that have been huge. That's when I'm trying, I'm trying to holistically engage my spiritual, yep. emotional, physical, and relational life. That's good. We are all connected and we believe that some of us have even preached that and taught that. And yet we just believe we can leave part of it out 5% or 55% and still be, you know, quote unquote, okay. Wow. Uh, So helpful. Darren, thank you for being so practical. I wanted to chase one thread. You said you lost the art of friendship. Why do so many, especially men, maybe in the heart of our lives, end up leading half-hearted and end up looking around and saying, who are my friends? I hear that story all the time. Why is that so common? You know, it's so funny on Saturday Night Live the other night, which I never watch it. My wife and I were doing this marriage conference. We're like, hey, let's watch it. Well, this comedian said, the guy that was hosting it said, uh, everybody, and this has been passed around, but he's like, everybody underestimates Jesus' greatest miracle. Here's a guy in his 30s with 12 friends. <laughs> Which so I good. Thought was like, so uh, good. <laughs> well, I think what happens is, man, we, you know, you, you get married, you, you start having kids, you feel the responsibilities. It's just life. The way we do modern Western world life is anti relational. It, it just is. Um, the way we do housing is anti relational. Uh, for the most part, depending on, you know, the choices you make uh, there, but it's just anti-relational the way. And then, so that those choices we make about work and and housing. And then the other thing is, um, you know, the way we do church is, is sometimes anti-relational. It's transactional. Um, And then, and then the reality of this, like you get betrayed a few times, like you're like, yeah, I've done that relationship thing. Like, no, thanks. So I think self-protection sets in, which is a form of pride. Um, And I just think it's really hard um, to put yourself in a vulnerable place where you are letting people in. Um, We're very good at being transparent in our culture and pastors are masters of this. Like me, I'm going to tell you something about my life so that we connect on a certain level, but I'm not going to be vulnerable, which is I'm going to tell you something and I'm going to invite you in. Um, we're good at being transparent. We're not very good at being vulnerable. And I think that like the, to, to share your hopes, dreams, and fears, um, with another person is super hard. Um, and I just think, you know, it's a choice. Like, I don't know how to say, say it any other way than you've got to schedule it and you got to pursue it. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's awful, but you just, it's a discipline just like anything else. Um, and disciplines always start, um, you know, negatively and almost always end positively. So mm-hmm. it almost always feels like a burden and almost always ends in freedom. And I think we, we just have to push through and just say, like for me, I'll just say what it looks like. Like Rob, uh, my buddy Rob, I've known for 30 years, like we use Marco Polo. It's an app. That's, and so it's like a video app. You just, and so like yesterday, um, he processed this whole thing about his fears about the stock market going down. So he said, Hey, let's talk later. I need you. I'm bleeding some lies. I need you to help me with that. So we talked last night, you know, um, you know, we've done that. We do that all the time. So it's just like, sometimes we can't just go face to face. We don't even live near each other. We're two hours away, but we use technology that way to, to help shape each other. 
and I mean, I'm, I was sharing with him with stuff, some stuff physically that I was wrestling with. Like, and he's like, he's an expert on, you know, he's a physical therapist and all kinds. So I just think you got to figure out different mediums. Sometimes you can't go face to face. Well, use text messages, use video apps. You figure out a way where you're sharing, as I said, your hopes and dreams and fears. Figure out a way where you're 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 figuring how to you're figuring out how to celebrate somebody and be celebrated. You're figuring out how to know somebody and be known. You're figuring out how to serve somebody and be served. That, that's a great definition of community right there. Like mm-hmm. and and just push through it and and figure it out and don't be satisfied and prioritize it and um it's so important and and guys we really don't do as our our the ladies are much they they are built better than us for this we have to a lot of us have to really really choose against our lesser nature to make this happen but at the end of the day man it's like anything else it's time it's energy and it's focus well darren it's been a gift thank you for this time and um Best wishes, uh, hopes, prayers over you and Amy's dreams and your family. And um, I just want to honor you and say thank you. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for submitting in the process. And I can just hear it in your voice that you are a submitted man and that you are one that has seen a lot of change, but one who is experiencing freedom and that your story is a gift to many others. So, Darren, thanks for your story. Thanks for your vulnerability. Uh, not just your transparency, but your authenticity and vulnerability. So grateful for our time. Yeah, me too, brother. Thank you. Well, I'm thankful for Darren's vulnerability and his honesty because we talk a lot about healthy leadership and there are probably many of us who feel like, okay, you talk about healthy leadership to not get into a mess, but what if I've already experienced the mess or the failure or feeling burnt out? What now? Well, Darren's story is a story of restoration, of redemption, and we probably don't talk about that enough. And so I'm thankful that he shared his heart, the pain of it, but also the hope and the restoration that's come through it. So we want to leave you with uh, two sets of questions. And the first is, do you have someone in your life that can be truly honest with you? Do you have someone in your life that can really tell you how it is with honesty? And if you don't, if you're a leader, Have you invited anyone into your life, to be honest? Do you have a process? Do you have channels of communication or a system in which people can give you honest feedback and hold you accountable? As leaders, we need accountability. And we cannot have accountability until we've invited people into our lives to be honest with us. So we're thankful for Darren and his story. We're thankful that you are listening along with us. Um, Thank you for how you've engaged already. We're also really excited about a new way that you can engage with the podcast. We have a platform that we've partnered with called Storehouse. Alan has talked about that in some previous episodes. There's some more information about that. But really, this is a platform for you to engage, but also to support the podcast. If these conversations have added value to your leadership and your life, this is an amazing way for you to help us continue to bring you conversations every Tuesday and every Thursday. And so the link will be in the description, the show notes. Um, Please follow that link and you can see how you can partner with us. The way that it's set up is there are multiple tiers in which you can uh, partner with us financially and every tier has a different set of rewards. And these rewards just add more and more value to your leadership. So please take a look at that. That's something that we're really excited about and um, we'll catch you in the next episode. We focus so long. Oh,